Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's conversation with SI.com's Director of Basketball Recruiting, Jason Jordan. He comes to us on the verge of college basketball, really getting going. Jason, thanks for joining. How, how are things? Going well, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you. I will just put this out there for the masses who listen to this to hear. Uh, we did have a conversation a couple weeks ago. My <laughs> technology or lack thereof uh did not allow me to record this properly so we are having a new conversation hopefully what you also feel is a better conversation Uh, but thanks again for joining with the season just about to kick off at both the high school level and the college level what are you most excited about at each level with things right around the corner well, more so than anything, generally, uh, just getting back out there and, um, you know, having more access uh, to live humans in person. So um, <laughs> live humans. That, I like it. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, on both levels. I definitely in at the high school level, just, you know, a lot of different um, moving pieces we lost in the 2022 class. Uh, lost the top two stars to the college game, Imani Bates and Jalen Duran uh, over at Memphis. So. Um, just kind of seeing who's going to step up in the 2022 class and kind of, um, you know, stay claim at the top. Um, so that'll be an interesting storyline as the season progresses on. Um, and in college, man, just um, the rat race, I, we're doing, you know, we're in preview season now. I know that uh, a lot of conference uh, team preseason teams are coming out. And so that's always interesting. And um, just seeing how the, the you know the top tier freshmen are um, gonna mesh with all these transfers and you know all these high level transfers. I, I think that's gonna be an interesting storyline, um, just for team chemistry and gelling per, and stuff like that. You've spent a number of years really kind of uh, focused in on the high school scene. Uh, you do a lot of evaluating at events. You do a lot of uh, writing uh, about some of the top prospects. I personally still to this day, as much time as I spend in the college basketball world, I don't understand this reclassify. Um, I understand the, the reason why, but I guess I don't understand how players can reclassify so easily. Can you give us a, a quick breakdown of how that really works? So it, it really, oftentimes when they reclassify up, what I've learned is that <laughs> They're not really reclassifying up. They're really just going back to the class they were originally supposed to be in in any way, right? So a lot of them reclassify when they're younger um, to give themselves more time to, I assume, become 
the kid that they want to become, like they become elite, become the top tier five star kid that they're trying to become. Um, so a lot of, oftentimes it's done early on. And when I say early on, I'm talking uh, middle school, eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, around that time. Um, so it's usually before high school because they don't want to run the risk of being a fifth year kid. Um, you know, everybody wants to be McDonald's All-American. So fifth years can't be McDonald's All-American. They can't usually participate in um, high level postseason all-star games like McDonald's and uh, Jordan brand and stuff like that. So um, that is now the, the process for actually doing it. I mean, this is sad, but I think <laughs> I think it's literally just the parent okaying it with the school is what I um, have been told by like school administrators um, is literally them just kind of maybe writing a letter, maybe having a conversation saying, I think that, you know, make it about the academics or about the emotional part, which I, you know, is kind of cringy, especially when you're young. If that, if your goal is to kind of just form this, this sports talent, um and that's why you're doing it uh that's a little cringy but you know it happens it happens all too often so um i'm often uh i, I that still doesn't get old to me when i get a guy i'm like yeah man he's and he's doing it <laughs> i'll be at a turn i'm like man the fact that he's a sophomore man that just whew, that even just elevates and then the guy beside me like i'll be beside a uh a nike rep or an adidas guy he's like yeah, you know you know he's not a sophomore right <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, God, not him, too. Right. So uh, it happens a lot, man. Um, it's almost par for the course these days in, in the game that we're in. So I see it too often. Well, it sounds like there's lots of gray areas. And, and that's yeah. one of the problems that NCAA has had with with a plethora of topics over the years, whether it's transfers, whether it's eligibility. Uh, give us your thoughts on NIL because I know you your feet are in both worlds, the college and the high school. And a lot of times these high school guys are reclassifying to get to college to take advantage of one year of NIL before hopefully if they perform well enough getting to the NBA. What are some of the, maybe the most interesting things you've seen or heard with NIL name, image, likeness in a short amount of time? So the biggest thing I'm saying is um... – um it's it's kind of uh well the the part that i don't like i'll start with that is that people are more so focusing on branding and i you know uh because i feel like that it's taking the attention away from what will get you i mean and i you're talking about marketing dollars and that's what they're that's what they're doing it for like they they want to represent all these different uh companies when they get there and they and they and I think they're, you know, and obviously we're all guinea pig in it, right? This is the first year. So um, uh, we're all going to see how it goes this year. And obviously the big deals are being made, but you're hearing about the big deals. So um, I wish people could see that the ones that you're hearing about, there are thousands that you're not hearing about because they're not happening. So <laughs> you're hearing about them because it's news, right? So that does, that's not happening for everybody. And this is what uh, some people are, you know, starting to tell, like, and even elite recruits, I'm talking five-star kids. It's not happening for everybody. I mean, you got to look at, you look at these preseason All-American teams and you look at 
guys who are picked for player of the year. And that's, you know, that's a story that we're going to probably end up doing. Just break down the money that they're going to make from the NIL. This is the the most visible player on, let's take, um, let's say a blue blood or something like that. Most visible player. He's a conference player of the year, but maybe he's a senior, right? Like maybe he's like, uh, you know, maybe he's not like Paula Banchero at, at Duke, right? Who's, who's obviously racking up NIL money. Um, being on the 2K cover and stuff like, or in the game, I should say. But um, that's the thing. That's the thing that for me, it's like getting kids, teenagers, trying to get 15, 16, 17 year olds to understand that it doesn't happen. It's just like the NBA. I mean, everybody's not going. Everybody's not getting NIL money like that. Not significant. And um, what I'm starting to see is that people are are really focusing on their marketing i i know that some people are i've heard of like marketing managers for 15 year olds which is <laughs> not, it's like i mean multiple this isn't like it's not even just one a couple kids it's like they're getting and even you know sometimes it's you know they're getting social media teams and stuff like that because they're trying to build their following i mean you take a guy like mikey williams who's the most famous, I always call him in my stories, the most famous high school athlete in the country. He's, he is. If we're talking numbers, he has over 3.3 million Instagram followers. But he's not the best basketball player in the country, right? Like, not not by a long shot. No no shade. It's just true. Like, um, he's a really good player, but he's more famous than he is good. So, um, but you look at him and they're like, oh, man, if I could just get famous like Mikey, oh, good luck getting 3.3 million Instagram followers, right? And he's yeah. about to ink a, ink a deal with Puma. This is not going to help 15-year-olds because they're going to think, man, if I could just – all I got to do is post and be fashionable and, uh, you know, just post more and up my following. And, you know, the reality is what's going to give you the biggest dollars is your production. It's the production that is – 9.9 out of 10 going to give you going to bring about, you know, companies because they want to be associated with someone who is uh, recognized for how much they produce on the court. Yeah, that's a real dangerous game that it sounds like a lot of young players are playing before they're really ready. Because if if you're more famous than good, at some point you're going to be exposed and the fame's going to go away and the game that you have hasn't been grown to be able to be built for success. When you look at this freshman class, you already mentioned the two youngsters uh, from Memphis, but then Paulo Banchero at Duke, Chet Holmgren at Gonzaga. Those are guys are probably kind of talked about as the top few picks in next year's NBA draft. You've seen them from a young age progress. What do you like to look at? along that timeline to make you see they're trending in the right direction because you evaluate so many kids over the course of time. Yeah. So first of all, and it kind of goes back to what we initially said, just being able to be there in person, that's invaluable because uh, they're just certain, and you know, this better than me, but they're just certain nuances that you can get in person that you just wouldn't see on a stream or, uh, even on TV, just um, body language, um, interactions with the coach, um, 
how he interacts with teammates, um, how he handles adversity um, when it's not going his way uh, in the game, which happens in every game. Um, but um, just things like that, when you're talking, when you're already a top tier guy, there are certain, there are little small things um, that I think translate long-term. Like, does it take you, for example, like, does it take you, to get your motor going at the risk of using a cliche sports term to get your motor done. Do you have to make a shot for that motor to turn on? Do you have to have a make, Do you have to see that make, you know, um, and those are the types of things I look, are you an alpha male? Like, you know, what, what is that? Um, how does that translate into how you, um, how you lead on the court, just different things like that, small things, but, uh, that turn into big things down the line. So I would say those are the things I more so look at. Finally getting a chance to be back in the gym, evaluating uh, high level high school prospects, getting to some college practices and soon to be games. What, what were the biggest challenges a season ago? Was it having to watch so many streams and trying to gauge progress was it connecting with coaches and and players to to get uh insight by talking to them over the phone uh, as opposed to in person what were the biggest challenges that you had a season ago well it was definitely um not being there in person and and yeah it was it was having to watch a million streams and it's like and you know how it is at these summer tournaments is that the rosters are never right and it's like now is that number 23 it says 23 but he says he's now he's only 5'10, he's not 7'1, you know, so that can't <laughs> be him. And then there's nobody, uh, you know, there's no announcer on the streams. It's like calling names when you're looking up stuff. It, it was it was pretty terrible. Like, you know, most of them uh were pretty bad. But you know, we were all just trying to figure it out. Um, I'm so happy that this summer uh the world kind of opened back up and you know uh responsibly at at most events and uh we were able to get out there because it was just it was almost you know i there were a couple times i just got frustrated and and shut the the stream off because it's like this is pointless i don't even know who that is you know it looks like him but they got the camera zoomed out to get the whole court i'm not sure that's him i can't tweet out that he had 30 and it's like yeah i wasn't even there man and you know i'm staying home um so well, with getting to these events, uh, as I've said in the earlier in the conversation, you're typically tracking the higher level players um, who are going to move on to, to the college level. But unfortunately, at least in my eyes, you're seeing the evaluating and ranking of kids in middle school and even as young as third and fourth grade now to me. I find that baffling because every kid's growth trajectory as far as physically, mentally, emotionally, love of the game and skill develops at a different pace. With you being on the inside track of evaluating high school players, what do you feel is too young of an age? That's a great question. I I, I, I have so many people that are like, man, you just got to see this middle school. I actually had a guy hit me today and say, um, and this isn't even that young, but I even, it's funny you asked me that question because he's like, I'm telling you, this kid's the top kid in 2025. I'm like, what? You mean a, what? What? <laughs> like, 
I told him, man, I'm gonna mute you for the day just for t- for just texting me that. Like, you know, I don't know, man. He's a ninth, ninth, forty to fourteen year old kid. I just, you know, to your point, there is so much development and just physical growth that happens over the course. I mean, uh, just even a year, you know. Uh, I think middle school is. I think at that level, um. There are some people that, let me just say, there are some people that are doing it for the right reason. Like the top middle schooler in the country. I um, I think that's too young. So let me answer your question like that first. Middle school is too young. Junior high is probably too young. I guess when we get to high school, we have we can't say it's too young because these kids, I know some ninth graders play 17U, like at EYBL, you know. So um, I guess ninth, tenth, I, for me, it's more so tenth. I would say 10th grade, unless it's like a special kid, like once in a lifetime kid that they're like, oh, he's in the ninth grade, but he's average. And, you know, he's going against the shade and sharps of the world and giving them a respectable 15, you know, like, and this kid is just six, eight, built like an ox, you know, um, I would go see him, but middle school, I kind of draw the line there. I, that's, it's so funny, man. Years ago, this was years ago. I did a story. I don't know if you remember this kid, um, Damon Harge, um, and he was supposed to be the number one sixth grader in the country, right? And so, and that's when I was at ESPN, and we did this big story on him. Um, and it was basically a part, and he played for John Wall's AAU team, and John Wall was like a mentor for him, um, and they were in close contact. And John, John said, um, I talked to John a lot for the story and he said, he, I told him all this stuff is, it's too much. It's too much too soon. Like it's absolutely too much too soon. I think he, de- you know, and this kid's like a short, really short garb. I mean, he, you know, you watch him, you're like, man, that little guy's good. Like he's shifty and you know, he's got all the moves and he's knocking down NBA threes. It is pretty impressive. Don't get me wrong, but he's also doing it to kids that are, you know, his size and smaller and, you know, and then the question is, is he going to grow? Is he going to be six, two? Is he going to be six, three? You know, um, so from a, you know, he, he was super skilled and he's 11 years old, but he never panned out. Um, and he's like, uh, and I think for him, um, and I kept close in close contact with that kid just cause I wanted to see how it would end. Right. And this is from sixth grade on. So I, I knew his family. I knew everything. And I would follow him wherever, he, you know, he went. And he was he was like a star. He was like the first one of the first YouTube sensations. He had 30 million YouTube views on like on one clip. And, you know, he ended up it was he was oversaturated and the expectations were too much for him. And I really believe, and he, you know, as he would get older, he would have an, like, Oh, my leg hurts. I don't want to play. It'd be like, I just saw you warm up. I didn't see you hurt you. And so I got, I drew a conclusion that I don't think he likes basketball. I don't think he loves it. Like I, because the expectations are just too high. And I think people are, you know, coming here and they're coming to say, he's not that good. You know, <laughs> so yeah. I took that was the 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 example because I was so close to it to say, you know, that's just ridiculous. Middle school is ridiculous. It's too much. 
Yeah. And I think in anything, whether it's basketball, whether it's another sport, you, you got to love it to absolutely be great at it. And, and many times when you're a young kid, you're just finding your way of, Hey, I might be really talented at something at an early age because I have hand-eye coordination, or yeah. maybe you are the biggest and fastest kid early, but if you don't love it, you're never going to work at it uh, to, to maybe meet some of outsiders expectations. So uh, that's an interesting story. I'm going to have to look up that article that you wrote a, a few years back. Give me what storyline that you're looking forward to covering with this upcoming college basketball season. It's funny. I was talking about this the other day. Um, and the biggest thing for me is um, I would say in the ACC, you know, obviously we got Coach K Swansong. Um storyline and there's the try as they may they're not gonna be able to get you know they're like no no it's not it's not we don't care it's just the regular season it's like all right good luck with that um but i told somebody the other day bigger than that is the acc was horrible last year historically bad like you know so my the biggest storyline for me is watching them because they're so used to being like one of the top two or three conferences and they just weren't last year was it was it was the first time I think since 79 that they didn't have a, a seed in the top three. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Florida state and, um, Virginia, they were both fours last year. And so for me, this season's like about showing and proving for that league and then blue buds across the board for the most part. I mean, they were bad last year too, except for Kansas and they, they didn't have a great season. So, um, those are the, that's something that I'm uh, I'm really curious about. And it's kind of been overshadowed by Coach K um, in the, you know, in the the swan song season is what I'm calling it. But um, that that's what I'm going to be looking at. That That's what I'm really intrigued by, because, you know, they 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 are heavy at the top again. But but are they, you know, and that's kind of what I'm looking at. Yeah, I always think, you know. If enough of the Blue Bloods are good, it's going to be a very interesting college basketball season. I think sometimes it's boring if all of them are really good um, because you don't have the ability to criticize what everybody (laughs) expects to be at the top of the pedestal because it's human nature. People want to – if you're at the top, people want to peck at you and bring you down. But to stay on the ACC for the last uh, question I have for you today, Jason – a lot, as you mentioned, is being made of Coach K's last year. Mm-hmm. There was an article uh, on a media outlet the other day that somebody is selling a ticket to Coach K's last home game for a million dollars. Are uh-huh. you going to get a press pass to that last home game? You know, it's so funny. I, um, I, uh, Mike, uh, Mike handles all their stuff at Duke, and um, they already sent out the. Um, the credential request for the year. So yeah, I'm hoping I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm feeling good thinking I'm going to be in there. Uh, I'll probably get to a couple games cause I'm here in the triangle. Um, so I'll probably get to a couple games, but that is, that last game is definitely one that I uh, am planning to be at. Yes, for sure. Well, Jason, I appreciate the time. Uh, thank you for uh, your insight. And with, SB Live's new partnership that was just announced with SI.com. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more together on many different platforms and some ideas. So thanks again for joining and have a great day. Looking forward to it. Thank you.
The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.